Welcome to AP GoPocast from Whitman Hanson Regional High School in Whitman, Massachusetts. I'm history and government teacher Steve Botello. And joining me every episode are students from our Advanced Placement United States Government and Politics course to share their insights on current political news stories in these turbulent times. Student guests will discuss the facts and sources of these stories make connections to our curriculum, and most importantly, share their own opinions on the big issues of the day. This is Episode 7, recorded February 6, 2020. Joining me today are Matt Figueredo and Matt Korzik, and they're going to be discussing a Supreme Court battle between the executive and legislative branches, as well as more on the Montana Religious Freedom case. Matt, why don't you take it away and... Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. All right. Uh, I am Matt Figueredo. I'm a senior at Whitman Hanson in the AP Gov class. I'm Matt Korzik. I'm also a senior at Whitman Hanson, and I'm also part of the Gov class. All right. Double, double Matt attack today. Uh, Matt, why don't you start us off? Tell us what you read about. Okay. What's the big deal? Um, I read a story by Adam Lichtak of the New York Times, which I know your article is also by him, um, and essentially it was about whether Congress can sue the president. So Congress is attempting to sue the president because they say he's withholding evidence from Congress during the impeachment trial, which has now passed, but at the time of this article it had not. Um, so it specifically involves Donald McGahn, who was personal counsel to the president, and he was asked to testify before Congress, um, but the president prevented him from doing so. Um, he was subpoenaed, and the president still prevented him from doing so. So Congress is attempting to sue the president, and essentially it comes down to, can they even do that? So the Supreme Court has yet to, this hasn't got to them, it's still in the lower courts, but many experts and, and you know, who are into politics in general think that this will eventually go to the Supreme Court. It's a, it's a fairly big case. Trump's defense team has said this is not a Supreme Court issue, and they did reference a 1997 case that was similar, and the Supreme Court rejected it, um, saying there was no direct injury that would um, result in them being able to sue. Congress has argued the opposite and said that he his, the amount of evidence that he has withhold is unprecedented and they should be able to sue, um, and they say this is the only avenue they have to check the president's power as far as obtaining evidence for an impeachment. So as far as the bias in this article goes, um, the New York Times is a fairly liberal news source. Um, according to mediafactcheck.com, it is a left-center bias, so it is slightly liberal, but nothing that would be considered uh, false for the most part or, or you know, uh, egregiously biased. So uh, Liptak himself in this article didn't um, demonstrate any vocab that would demonstrate uh, any sort of significant bias. Looking back at his work, 
Um, he has been working for the Times for over 30 years and has been working with the Supreme Court since 2008 as a correspondent. So he is an expert um, on the Supreme Court and its inner workings. Um, as far as his work goes, he, his, he published a book recently about the history of how Supreme Court justices um, and their voting records go along with campaign financing of those who nominated them. So he has been a champion of uh, campaign reform uh, as far as financing goes, as well as prison reform, which are both uh, generally considered to be liberal ideologies. So himself, he you could say that he shows a liberal leaning based on the issues that he considers most important, but in this article as a whole, it, it didn't show any significant bias against Trump or for the liberal House of Representatives. Um, so I connected this case to the Supreme Court decision of Nixon v. United States um, and his connection to the separation of powers. So in Nixon v. United States, the Supreme Court ruled that Richard Nixon had to turn over tapes of a phone call um, because they were not pertinent to national security. So they said, they ruled that Congress can ask the president for documents and if they were not pertinent to national security, then he, he will give them over. That's just, that's what they ruled. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, this is a very similar case because the president is once again withholding evidence is it pertinent to national security that is sort of up to the Supreme Court to decide if they even take the case because they rejected a similar case in 1997. Um, but a 1993 ca case, which was also Nixon versus United States, but it was a different Nixon. There was mm -hmm. a federal judge named Walter Nixon. Um, they did say that if there was a constitutional commitment of the issue to a coordinate political department, and the case was non-justiciable. So essentially, Congress has the power of impeachment. They have the power over the entire process. That's part of their constitutional role. So this could be interpreted in several ways. It could be interpreted as they have the power so they can make him turn in the documents, or it could be interpreted as, well, it's not the Supreme Court's power, so they shouldn't be ruling on this. They should stay out of it. So that could be argued either way. Um, so in my opinion, I do think this will go the, before the Supreme Court. I couldn't tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> I have no clue. I think the way that the Supreme Court is set up right now, it will likely come down to Chief Justice John Roberts to make the decision, considering there are four strongly liberal judges and four strongly conservative judges it will likely come down to him, not just because he's a Republican in office and this is a Republican versus the Democrat-run House of Representatives. That's, that's not what the Supreme Court is about. It's not a political institution. More so, um, giving Congress the power to sue would be expanding their power, which would customarily be a liberal ideology. So it would you know, align with the views of the four liberal justices. So I, I think it would probably come down to the swing justice in Roberts. Do you have any questions or do you, something you want to bring up with this particular issue, Matt? Um, the one main question I have is 
you personally, do you think that the president should be allowed to like stop someone from being subpoenaed? No, I, I don't think so. And I'm going to cite Mr. Botello that he wrote on my document. I'm not going <laughs> to take credit for this idea. Um, well, during the impeachment, the president argued that the House uh, should have gone to court to enforce subpoenas. Um, and they, so that's what they're doing here, but now they're arguing in federal court that they shouldn't do that. So it's sort of, it's inconsistent. And they're not showing a, a factual viewpoint on it. It's sort of whatever works out for the president, which uh, I don't agree with. So you gotta, if they're gonna pick this side in the impeachment proceedings before the Senate, then they've gotta stick with that. And I think by their own logic, he should have to, this should go to the Supreme Court. And I think he should have to turn over the documents to get a, a full picture of what's really going on. When I was listening to you talk, it made me think of another case that we looked at, Marbury versus Madison. And I'm now that you're bringing up the fact that this could all be up to John Roberts, I wonder, is he going to take a John Marshall kind of approach to this and say, I don't want to get into a fight between the executive branch and the legisla legislative branch and try to find some sort of exit, some sort of escape hatch to get out of that fight? I wonder. Like yeah, you said, he, great point. Who knows? He certainly could. He's shown a tendency to, that he's cognizant of how he wants to be remembered in history. That's sort of why he's, not why, but you could argue that that's why he's become the, the swing justice, sort of, and he's been a big decider in all these cases, so he certainly could try to follow in the footsteps. Very Marshall. Cool. Thank you. All right, now, you also had an Adam Liptak article? I did. Okay, so we don't have to talk about his, his potential bias anymore. What is your article from Mr. Liptak? So my article talks about a Supreme, the Supreme Court and how it is currently overlooking a case that involves a Man Montana program that began in 2015. It was designed to allow students and parents to better options for schools, but it was shut down when a state agency agency stated that students who attend religious schools uh, were not eligible for scholarships because of the clause in the state co state's constitution that bars the use of government money for anything that is controlled uh, or in part uh, or part of a religious sector and that ended up having three mothers with children who uh, attended the Stillwater Christian sc school who attended Stillwater Christian school uh, they sued the state on the grounds that the clause in the state's constitution violated the protections of religious freedom granted by the First Amendment of the Con United States Constitution. Um, the case resulted in the Montana Supreme Court ruling against the mothers, which led to the entire program being shut down. And the question asked in the case by the mothers is, does the federal constitution allow the wholesome exclusion of religious schools from scholarship programs? And uh, there was also a similar case that arose in 2017, when the Supreme Court, uh, when the Supreme Court was presented with Trinity Luther Lutheran Church versus Comer, which ended with the Supreme Court ruling that Missouri had violated the First Amendment by disallowing religious institutions from a state program to make playgrounds safer. Uh, however, justices agree that these two cases are different, as described when Justin Kate. Kagan? I don't have that. Uh, stated that 
it was one thing to exclude uh, religious institutions from a completely secular pu public benefit and another to subsidize religious education. And many state constitutions include restrictions on government aid, uh, on government aid to religious groups whose goals often had had the goal of restricting funding for Catholic schools. And do you want me to go into the bias? Or? I think we we've covered yeah. Mr. Liptak pretty well. What's your take on this whole thing, or uh, what do you what do you think is going to happen as a result of this case? Uh, I think that. Um, I believe that the Supreme Court will mo most likely declare that the clause in Montana's Constitution that bars the use of government money for anything that is controlled by uh, any religious sector unconstitutional uh, because it infringes on the First Amendment that allows for freedom of religion. Um, I also believe that the case decision will most likely be overturned due to the fact that it is so similar to a previous uh, Supreme Court case. Um, that contain religious schools that resulted in the Supreme Court ruling in favor of the religious schools. Um, and I also believe, or also some of the justices, including Justice uh, Samuel Alito, um, agree that this case is actually similar to the other case that was previously spoken of. Um, as he stated, uh, they can't discriminate against parents who want to send their children to schools that are affiliated in some way with the church. And was this like any of the cases that we've had a chance to look at in class? Did you make any, could you make any connections with the stuff that we've studied? You mentioned the First Amendment. Or does anything, anything in this case, do you think this case is going to blow up the Lemon case? Lemon v. Kurtzman that set a, a set of par, a parameters by which state governments and local governments can allow public money to go to religious institutions as long as it's for secular purposes. And we've used the Lemon v. Kurtzman case up to this point and the Lemon test that comes from it. We've used that as part of our curriculum to really understand the decisions that the court could make. This decision could maybe chuck out what we've learned in Lemon v. Kurtzman and establish an entirely new precedent. Do you think that is going to happen? Does it matter? What What's the future going to hold here? Uh, I think that it will overturn that case because it kind of like it's the complete opposite of what that uh, the Lemon case was, and because this is saying that like state governments can fund religious schools, even though the Lemon case saying that it can't be for a like, religious purpose, and since I think that it's going to go in favor of the mothers and therefore um, going to allow the state, or make the state governments allow for uh, spending for the religious schools, I think that it will definitely uh, overthrow the Lemon case. Let me give you one more hypothetical here. Let's imagine you have this imaginary Montana community where 90% of the population subscribe to one particular religion. Um, maybe they're Baptists, who knows. So we get 90% of the population is religious, and that 90% would like to send their children to a religious school. Yet, the formula that we currently have is that your, your taxpayer dollars go to public schools. Do you think that Montana community, this fictional Montana community, should be able to 
take their taxpayer dollars and instead of putting them into a public school that perhaps won't be used, should they be able to move that into a private school if it reflects what 90% of the people want? Uh, I feel like it should because if it's like the majority of community, then um, I feel like the amount of money that goes to a certain like funding should reflect the population and what they want to be the money to be spent with. So I feel like it definitely should reflect the population. Interesting. Do you have any questions for Matt on this particular issue? Um, yeah. Um, so do you think that the you know divvying up how money is spent should just be significant to local taxpayer revenue or also should they be able to do whatever you know decide to put into private institutions even there if they're religious if that's coming from state or federal tax revenue I feel like it should be um, exclusively towards like the local levels it should they shouldn't take it out of the federal or state budgets because I feel like it should be based on the populations of like certain communities or like towns because uh, I feel like if you take it to the state level level or the federal level it'll just be too much of a mess because there's so many different um, it's so diverse Amer uh, the US that I feel like you couldn't split it equally among everybody so I feel like um, especially for like the smaller communities, it's easier to do than just the larger communities. Great. Well, thank you very much, guys. Good job. I really enjoyed listening to your insight, and uh, I hope you have a really great day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>